Lord Jesus, again, we are here for you. We're here to reflect your glory, to be conformed from one degree of glory to the next. Lord, I, I pray that as we behold you, as we look to you here in your scriptures, I pray that we would see you. And Holy Spirit, pray that you would teach us in a way that only you can. I pray that you would bring revelation in a way that the points I've prepared and the things that I've prepared to talk about uh, just can't really do. Holy Spirit, I thank you for bringing revelation. Um, and Lord, I just I pray that you would draw our hearts close to you. You said that as you're lifted up, you'd draw all men to yourself. And so we want to be drawn to you. We want to be close to you. We want to be where you are. We want to be in your presence. And so, Lord, as we do this this morning, as we look to you, thank you for drawing us close, making us look like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, I want to begin just by doing a little bit of a recap. In case you weren't here last week or in case you're like me and from one week to the next you just forget a whole bunch of stuff, uh, I'm just going to kind of bring us up to speed on where we started and where we're going. So I shared with you that this time in our society, in our world, has, for me personally, brought up a lot of different emotions from one day to the next, from one minute to the next sometimes of feeling really, really excited and happy to be spending the time that I'm getting to spend with family to being really stressed out and anxious about what the future holds and, well, you know, what's going to be going on here at the church and whatever. Uh, and it, that's okay. And that's good. You know, we talked about how having emotions is not sin. Having emotions is how God created us. And, you know, Jesus calls us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we're to submit even the emotional side of us to the Lord. We're to submit it to him. And if we're going to submit something to the Lord, we can't pretend that it doesn't exist. Uh, we can't just pretend like, I don't have emotions. I'm steady as a rock. I've got this. No highs, no lows. No, that's not how it goes. We do experience highs and lows. We do experience different things in this whole emotional spectrum. And that's not necessarily sin, because if, if it was sin to experience highs and lows of emotion, then Jesus would have sinned. And we know that he was sinless. And he also was angry and drove people out of the temple with a whip. And he also wept and mourned whenever someone died. And he also rejoiced and was really happy and was at and through parties. So we know that Jesus had a lot of different emotions and expressed them. And so the problem is not in having emotions. The problem is what we do with them. Because we don't want to deny them. We also don't want to depend on them. So what we're left with now is if God calls us to love him with every single bit of ourselves, including our emotions, then we need to sort through what can I gain from an emotion? How do I submit it to the Lord? What do I do with it? What does this mean for me? How do I process it? How do I use that to glorify and honor and worship the Lord? And that's what we're getting into because what this has moved us toward is the book of Psalms. In the Psalms, if you've read even two of them, you can see that there's a bunch of different emotions going on in here. There's a lot of, there's high, high highs, there's despair, there's rejoicing and gladness, there's grief, there's guilt, there's all different kinds of things expressed in these Psalms that give us tools and ways to discern what's going on in our hearts and to submit that healthily to the Lord. And so that's what we're, we're getting at here as we 
get into the book of Psalms. And just one thing that I wish I would have mentioned last week that I'd like to just touch on briefly before we get into everything here is Psalms are best used whenever you use them the way they were meant to be used. I know that's mind-blowing and that's just like radical revelation that you've never heard before. But, you know, there's if you go through the Psalms and are looking for these big arguments that you can convince somebody that Jesus is real and uh, you look for it to be some kind of evangelical tool, you might not find exactly what you're looking for. But what the Psalms are is their poetry, their worship, their, their songs, their, their ways for us to engage our hearts in worship. And so the best way to use the Psalms is not necessarily to to try to outline point A, point B. Obviously, here I am teaching on the Psalms, so I'm doing that a little bit here, bringing some teaching out. But the best thing that we could do with these is to pray them, to sing them, to, to memorize them as, as worship uh, and to engage our minds and our hearts in worship to the Lord. Best way to use them is what they're used for. You know, you wouldn't use a cookbook to learn how to grow vegetables. There might be another book that would be more... Uh, you know, appropriate for that. You wouldn't use a cookbook necessarily to find out how to lose weight. You use a cookbook to learn how to cook the food, okay? And so when you use it properly, you get good results out of it. And so for us, as we approach the Psalms, I want us to be reminded that, uh, you know, we're not necessarily looking for like ways to prove that God is real. You know, you can see that there's other scriptures that that you can see the reality and the truth of God. But here in the Psalms, it's really a way for us to just engage our hearts in worship, engage our minds in prayers and in songs to him. So anyway, that's where we're at. We're talking about emotions. We're looking at the Psalms uh, to get into it. Again, if you have your handy dandy Victory Life Church apps, you can find my notes there um, on the app. So if you want to follow along, you can go there, but uh, I'll try to keep us up to speed as well as far as where we're going. So if you, if you have your Bibles, if you want to take notes, the psalm that we're going to be looking at today is Psalm 30, Psalm 3-0. And we're talking this morning about joy. What better place to start if we're talking about emotions than joy? Okay, I'm not going to hit you hard with the grief and guilt just yet. That day will come, okay? But, uh, but we're going to start things off. You know, I believe that this is a really good baseline for us to have a good understanding of, for us to be meditating on is the joy of the Lord. You know, the word says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so as we go through good times, bad times, ups and downs, this baseline of knowing the joy of the Lord is really going to be some strength for us in hard times. And so I want us to look first and foremost, as we're getting into these emotions, at the joy of the Lord, true biblical joy. Because what I think that we're going to see, and maybe you kind of have an idea of this already, maybe you already know this, but it'll at least be encouragement to us, is that biblical joy is much different and it's a lot more sturdy and solid and eternal than how the world views joy. Because joy is something that I think everybody really is after. Everybody wants to be joyful, right? Everybody wants to have gladness and happiness in their hearts. Everybody wants to be a joyful person. But I believe that what the Bible gives us, what the joy of the Lord is, is actually much different than how the world views joy. So just a few ways that I've observed that I believe the world views joy, a world kind of joy, is to me it seems very circumstantial. It's a circumstantial joy. 
So the way the, the world views joy is that if such and such a thing happens, I can be joyful. Or if such and such a bad thing stops happening, then I can be joyful. Once I get my job, I can have joy in my heart. Once that woman finally recognizes that I'm always right, I can be joyful. Okay, if she starts to see it my way. I'm not preaching from experience here, okay? I'm just telling you, others have told me that they feel this way. But if such and such a good thing happens, then I can be joyful. Or if such and such a bad thing stops happening, then I can actually have joy in my heart. That's a circumstantial, worldly kind of joy. And if you've ever seen somebody who's really, really high one day, really, really low the next day, and just caught up in the emotion. Remember I said that we, we don't deny our emotions, but we also don't depend on them. Some, if you see somebody who's up and down and up and down and just waiting for that next good thing to happen so that they can have joy in their heart, so that they can experience some happiness, it's a little bit unstable. It's a little unanchored. Another thing that I've observed about worldly joy is that it's a little bit at times fake and phony. Or at least it seems that way. And here's a little bit of a critique that could come at the church as well. I think a lot of times people see our, church, our joy in the church as fake and phony too. I've seen that. I've been around people who, because, you know, it's good to declare and speak the word of God and speak his truth, but I've been around people who maybe are just saying, well, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored, I'm good, everything's great, to where I realize, like, dude, your life seems like it's falling apart, like, why are, you say, why are you gluing a smile to your face? Remember, Jesus showed all different kinds of emotions. And so this joy, our biblical joy, isn't like the world is. It's not fake. It's not phony. It doesn't mean that you have to come to church every day with a huge smile on your face, even if things are falling apart around you. Okay, it's not like having a fire going on in the background and just shaking your head and sipping your coffee. Like, okay, everything's, we're good, we're good, we're good. Okay, that's not, that's not biblical joy, but I do believe that the worldly kind of joy, it can be fake. It looks fake sometimes. You know, I was thinking about insta-joy. It's like you, you see people's happiest, biggest, most fulfilling moments come through on Instagram or come through on Facebook. We see the highest of the highs with people, but it's rare that we actually get to look through and see, okay, what does the day-to-day difficulty problems of your life look like? But we project those things out on social media, and, and it gives this illusion that everybody needs to be happy and living their best life all the time. And it, it really falls apart pretty quickly. It's fake. It's phony. It's not, not the real thing, not the truth. And that's a worldly kind of joy. But again, what I believe that the Bible has to offer, what we can find in Jesus Christ, is a true, eternal, steadfast. Remember that the steadfast love of the Lord is our true north. We talked about that last week as we're orienting ourselves around these maps. The steadfast love of the Lord is our true north. It's the the sure thing. His joy is steadfast. And I know that this might sound like, okay, well, what are you talking about? Pastor Mike, you're talking about you can have highs, lows, you can go through anger, you can go through sadness, but joy is always steadfast, always going through the whole thing. What, what does that mean? Well, there's a few examples that I want to get to here in the New Testament, but before I do that, just some other things from the Psalms. These aren't from the ones that I'm going to be reading uh, this morning, but think about joy in this way. In Psalm 4, verse 7, it, the psalmist says, you, God, have put more joy in my heart than they have 
when their grain and wine abound. So if the world is dependent on a circumstantial joy, we're going to be joyful whenever we've got grain and we've got wine, we've got things taken care of, the profits are looking good, family's taken care of, retirement looks great. That's when we're going to be joyful. No, the psalmist says, God, you've put more joy in my heart than the world has, even when all those things are looking good. So this joy that he's put in our hearts is not circumstantial. It's not about what kind of grain we have, not the wine that we get to drink or don't get to drink. It's about God's joy being in our hearts. Okay, so anyway, and then uh, in Psalm 1611, you'll see that the psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy fullness of joy. So what we're looking for is not a joy that's dependent on what the stock market is doing, a joy that isn't dependent on how great our kids are acting in public, a joy that's not dependent on how often we can take the boat out, how often we get to go fishing, not any of that. It's something that is a fullness, full joy that can only be found in the presence of the Most High God. So that's what we're looking to. So anyway, I've got a few examples that I want to get at as we look at joy being talked about, particularly from Jesus followers and Jesus himself here in the New Testament. I want to look at how joy is used. Remember, considering how the world views joy, this circumstantial, fake kind of thing. Well, okay, well, how does Jesus talk about it? How do we talk about it in the New Testament? And the first example I want to read from is John 16. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 20, but if you want to go and get a little bit more background information of what's going on, uh, you can back up to verse 16 or even to the beginning. This is a whole big talk that Jesus is giving to his disciples, and it would be cool to read the whole thing. But starting in verse 20, this is what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. And here's a cool example that he gives. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. Biblical joy is a joy that can't be robbed by the people around you. Can't be robbed by the friend that's turned their back on you. Can't be robbed by the spouse that is causing all these difficulties. It can't be robbed by the circumstance. Can't be robbed by the politicians that are trying to grab power. This kind of joy, he's saying, it cannot be taken from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Again, here we're talking about joy that's full, fullness of joy, a joy that nobody can take from you. And he talks about, so as we're thinking through like, okay, well, how can I be joyful? How can I have joy even in the midst of sorrow and pain. And he uses this example of a woman giving birth. That in that moment, there's sorrow, there's great pain, because when the pushing is coming, uh, you know, there were not epidurals in this day when Jesus was uh, telling his disciples this. Uh, and there, whenever there's that pushing, that difficulty, there's, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's agony, you could even say. 
But all of those things, he says that by the time the baby comes, those things are forgotten because of the joy that this child has come into the world. The joy, all that pain, it was completely worth it because of this, the joy of having this child. The reward has come on the other side of this pain and sorrow, and the joy far outweighs the grief that was, was going on to get it here. So this, that's a way that Jesus talks about joy, not denying grief, not denying sorrow, not denying pain and issues, but knowing that there's a fullness of joy that no one can take from you on the other side of these difficult situations. This is the, the biblical kind of joy that we're getting at. Another scripture that I want to read to you is from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy in Jesus' life here was a tool. It was a way for him to be able to look to the most painful, most agonizing, most shameful thing that could have happened to him to be crucified by the Roman Empire. This terrible, terrible suffering and shame. But it was for the joy that was set before him, for joy that was on the other side of it, joy in the midst of that pain and suffering for what was going to come. Again, going back to what he said about a, that baby being born, there was joy that sustained him even through the pain and the difficulty. It wasn't just this thing that you wait for things to get better, better and now I have joy. He could experience that joy and the hope of that joy even in the moment, seeing the cross, seeing the pain that was there because of the joy that was set before him. So this, again, is the way that the Bible talks about joy. Not as the world would talk about it, like an avoidance of pain and a seeking of pleasure. You know, a lot of times the world, you'll, you'll find joy if you just avoid pain, you look for pleasure, try to find the good things in life, live the good life, that's where you can find joy. No, it was in the middle of this pain, it was in the middle of this suffering, knowing what was on the other side that caused joy to be something that fueled him even in that moment. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. If we look at the book of James, in James 1, again, these are all in the notes. I know I'm going from one to the other pretty quickly, but in James 1, verse 2, this is a pretty radical thing to say about joy. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That's tough to do sometimes. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can, we can not just have joy about what's on the other side of something, but we can have joy. He says, count it joy in the moment while you're going through trials and difficulties. Count it all joy, even in that moment, because what's happening, even in that difficulty, even in that hard stuff, even in the, the pain and the sorrow, what's happening right there is God is working something in you that's producing steadfastness, that's producing endurance, that's producing an ability to follow him and serve him no matter the circumstance that is going to be of eternal value. 
So you've got something going on in the middle of an issue, in the middle of darkness, in the middle of difficulty, something that the God of the universe is working on the inside of you that can produce a joy in that moment to where you can call the issue that you're going through joy. You can count that as joy because of what God's working through you in the moment. Man, this isn't as fun as what you thought it was going to be whenever we were talking about joy, right? But this is biblical joy. Okay, because I know that there are people here this morning, maybe some who feel like they've got a lot to rejoice about, a lot to give God praise about, a lot to be joyful, a lot to sing and to dance about if we were a dancing kind of church. Maybe we'll become it after this message, I don't know. But maybe you feel like you've come in here and you've got the reasons to be joyful. Something's beeping. My daughter might be acting up in the nursery, I don't know. I'm going to set this down. Um, maybe you've, you feel like you've got a lot of reasons to be joyful right now. But then again, maybe you don't. Danny, would you just step on that, smash it into the ground? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. But maybe you've got a lot of really great reasons to be joyful and to be happy. Or maybe you've come in this morning and you feel like you have no reason There's no reason why I should be joyful. Why would I sing these great big praise songs to the Lord of how good he is? I feel like I'm going through the mud right now. And it can be really isolating sometimes whenever we talk about joy, having the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It can be isolating when you feel like you don't have something to be joyful about. Like everybody else is experiencing and enjoying this party while you're sitting over in the corner like, why am I being looked over? Why don't I have something to give God praise about? And the cool thing about biblical joy is that you still do, even in the middle of that. If you've got good reasons to, if you feel like you have zero reasons to, there is actually always a reason to give God some glory and to give God praise and to be thankful and to be joyful, even if it's in those moments where you're telling your soul to be joyful. Remember we talked about last week, I'm going to tell the, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'm going to tell my soul what to do. Well, sometimes you do have to tell your soul to be joyful. You do have to tell your soul, I'm going to find joy. I'm going to count it all joy, even in the middle of these difficulties, even while I am weeping, even while I am mourning, I'm still going to tell my soul that you will be joyful. You will praise the Lord. You will give thanks, even in the middle of this, because my God is faithful and there's something on the other side that's more beautiful than what's going on right now. Because if the world's kind of joy is a circumstantial avoidance of suffering at all costs, that's how you become joyful? No. God's kind of joy does not avoid suffering, but God's kind of joy sees suffering for what it is and knows that that's not the final answer. God's kind of joy is anchored in an eternal hope that knows that whatever suffering is going on right now is going to be turned around for his glory and for my good. That's God's kind of joy. And that's something that we can take part of right now, even if you feel like you don't have a reason. And so for that we're going to go to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And I'm going to take uh, a couple seconds at different points maybe to just kind of talk about what we're reading here. But the first thing I'm going to do, I'm just going to read it straight through. Uh, Like I said last week, I just kind of want us to hear the words for those to sink in. So if you've got your Bible with you, read along as I'm reading. uh, Or if you want to, close your eyes, take in the words, hear what the Lord is saying right here. But this is a 
a praise song to the Lord. And something that I want to, I don't know if you have this note in your Bible, but mine says that this is a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. So this is a song for the dedication of the temple. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountains stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So if you notice as we were reading that, that even in this psalm, even packed into this psalm that's talking about joy, talking about turning mourning into dancing and how mourning goes through the night and weeping comes through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Even in this psalm, you see a little bit of fluctuation of emotions. You see it first in this, these first few verses that the Lord has helped me. You, you've saved me. You've redeemed me from the pit. And you can see, yeah, because God has done something, I have reason to rejoice. But even as he goes on, we see this is what I love in verses 6 and 7. He says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. High up on the mountain, so excited, so glad. And then the very next verse, you hid your face, I was dismayed packed in right next to each other. You can experience the highest of highs and then feel, I'm dismayed. I don't know what's going on. We can see how in and of ourselves, we can feel pretty fickle. We can feel up and down, high and low, all over the place. And even in this, you know, it starts out of, God, you've helped me. You've saved me, redeemed me from the pit. And then it goes through these emotional cycles. And then he is reminding himself at the end that God is going to do it. He, he is going to... to uh, Turn my mourning into dancing. Here, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. He's still calling out to the Lord to be his helper in the midst of all these issues. And so I want you to remember that we can be unstable. But again, the Lord is steadfast. Steadfast love. That's our true north. That's our guiding star. The steadfast love of the Lord. And so in that our hearts can be sure, and our hearts can still be joyful in the middle of what's going on, in the middle of great mourning and sorrow. And so maybe that's you, that, you know, here in verse 11 and 12, where it says, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. If you feel like maybe your mourning hasn't been turned into dancing yet, you're waiting on God to do that. Maybe you just don't dance, metaphorically, okay? 
metaphorically, your morning hasn't been turned into dancing. And you're waiting on, okay, God, I'm ready for you to do it. I'm ready for you to turn my morning into dancing. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of that right now and thinking, okay, well, joy is something that I can actually partake of later on whenever he actually turns that around. Whenever God actually does something and turns my morning into something beautiful, then I can start dancing. Well, you know, what we're to do with joy, the, the thing that we, you know, what does joy give us to do? The big thing is to be thankful, to give God thanks. To be thankful to the people around us. Be thankful to your friends, to your family. Express that verbally where they can hear and know that you're thankful for them. And express it to God and tell him that you're thankful. You know what's, what's pretty cool about thankfulness and joy is that joy does produce thankfulness, yes. But the same can be true the other way around is that thankfulness can produce joy. If you're not feeling it, if you feel like I'm still stuck in my morning, there is no dancing here, you can still be thankful. You know, the word says that in everything, we're to give thanks. It doesn't mean for everything we give thanks. Thank you that my mom died, God. No, you do not. You don't have to be thankful for everything. But in everything, we can give thanks. In everything, there is something that we can give in thankfulness to the Lord. And as we make that a part of who we are, a being a thankful person, being a grateful person, and giving that to the Lord, expressing that, watch your morning turn into dancing. Watch that sorrow be turned into something that is fullness, beautiful joy that God has given you in exchange for this, these ashes that you found yourself in. Watch the morning be turned into dancing as you thank God in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the issue, even whenever you don't see things turn around just yet. Check this out. This is really cool. I'm so thankful for my handy-dandy study Bible that my wife got me because there's a lot of smart people that put things in here to, to help me learn good that I wouldn't be able to do on my own or I wouldn't maybe make connections uh, by myself. Something pretty cool that I found in the notes here. You know, this psalm is a psalm of David for the dedication of the temple, right? Well, my handy-dandy study Bible reminded me that David was not there for the dedication of the temple. Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord after David had passed away. Yet this is a song of gladness, of joy, a song about turning my morning into dancing, a, song, a psalm of David talking about how weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning, being sure and fixed in the steadfastness of the Lord and in his joy, and a dedication to the temple that David didn't live to see. So what we're left with here is not a joy that is circumstantial, not a joy that waits for the dedication of the temple, waits for the really, really cool big celebration to come so that I can rejoice and celebrate in the Lord. No, it's one that we can tell ourselves we are going to be joyful. We are going to fix our hearts on the goodness of God. We are going to know that he's going to turn every situation around for his glory, for our good, and rejoice in that and be thankful in that even if we don't see it come to pass even if it's not happening in the moment. And so here's what this is. It's not being fake. It's not going through the hardest day of your life and just plastering a smile and not letting anyone know what you're going through and not telling anybody and not putting, telling God what's going on. It's not that. It's not fake. It's not phony. But at the same time, it is in authenticity going to the Lord saying, this is hard for me. You know, he talks about being rescued from the pit, being rescued from Sheol. 
feeling like you've been brought up out of the pits of hell itself. How can you give thanks to God for bringing you out of the pit if you've never acknowledged that you've been in the pit? Am I right? For this kind of joy that we're talking about, you have to acknowledge the situation that you've been in. You have to, to see and call it for what it is. This is really hard for me, God. This is really difficult. This is really painful. And I'm in sorrow and I'm in mourning. But that's not the end. God's joy, biblical joy says, yes, there is pain, but that's not the end. So it's not fake. It's not phony. It's not plastering a smile so that people think that we're all happy at church. But it is declaring the goodness of God. It is remaining firmly fixed in his promise that joy does come in the morning, that he will turn this morning into dancing, that I will give thanks to him no matter what I'm seeing with my eyes because there is reason to be joyful because I don't try to avoid suffering. I try to see with God's eyes what this suffering is going to do for me whenever he turns it for my good. And that's a reason to be joyful. That's a reason to give thanks. That's a reason to dance. So I want to see everybody dancing today as we're, as we're leaving, as we're exiting the doors. I want to see some dancing going on. I don't care if you're bad at it. That was one of the things, you know, I miss, I miss living in Uganda. I really do. One of the biggest things I miss about it is that we would dance all the time. Anything, like the smallest, tiniest party, and there's dancing going on. Like it, it was kind of a must. You need to be serving meat, and you need to be dancing if there's going to be a party. That's like, that was the rules. And nobody judged you for dancing bad. I'm a terrible dancer. But I danced my brains out over and over again. And it was so fun. It was just such a good thing to express that to the Lord uh, in that way. Just how thankful, how good life can be even in the middle of, of big issues. And honestly, something I wanted to know, even this joy is not circumstantial. If joy was circumstantial, if joy was dependent upon your comfortability and your living situation, then America would be one of the happiest places on the planet. But it's not. There's a lot of people dealing with a lot of depression and deep, deep, dark sadness right here in a place that for the most part, and for a lot of people, is pretty comfortable. And you find in, in places, you know, whether it be in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia, where, you know, they're not all poor places necessarily, but in, in some poor places, you find people who have more joy in their hearts than we have when our grain and wine abound. Because joy is not circumstantial. It's found in the goodness of God. It's found in who he is and his eternity. And so the last thing I want to share, you know, as we're talking about joy, it always comes up around Christmas time, but I think now's an appropriate time to talk about it. You know, there's some scriptures that we think are only for Christmas or Easter, but this is for all time. You know, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, talking about where Jesus was, said, fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Because a Savior has come in the city of David is going to be born tonight. Good tidings of great joy. There's great joy in the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So this kind of joy that the Bible talks about, when we say it's not circumstantial, it's based in an, an eternal hope of God turning and redeeming difficult things. There is no redemption outside of Jesus Christ. 
There is no eternal hope outside of the hope that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is why we have reason for joy. That is the joy that we have. It's all founded in him. It's rooted in him. And I want to give an opportunity. I know we've got a lot of the home crowd this morning, you know, because all the sinners are off celebrating Memorial Day. We'll edit that out of the audio recording because God bless you on the lake. Pray that you have fun. Anyway, what was I saying? I know we've got the home crowd here, but I really do want to give an opportunity as we're talking about joy, God's kind of joy. I want any, anybody who hasn't experienced and found the hope of the saving grace of Jesus Christ that is the baseline for all of our joy as believers, if there's anybody who hasn't received that, accepted that, acknowledged that he's king to be able to find that joy, I want to give that opportunity this morning. So if you would, please just bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you, if that's you, then I want to pray with you. I want to to rejoice and celebrate with you as you make a decision that is not going to make your life a gravy train from here on out, but a decision that is going to give you unspeakable, unexpressible joy and peace and comfort in the midst of whatever trials you go through. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to experience that great joy that comes with him being your Savior, would you just raise your hand and I want to pray with you and I want us to pray together as a church with you. Okay. Well, then here's the good news. As you can open your eyes. The good news is we've all got that joy, 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 joy down in our hearts. All right? We, I'm believing that there, there's nobody in this building that hasn't made that declaration and put their faith in their heart in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And with that being said, we have an unspeakable joy. We have an eternal joy that is not dependent on circumstances. And it doesn't lead us to be fake, but it leads us to put our hope and our trust in Jesus no matter what, which means that you and I have reason to sing. We have reason to dance. We have reason to be happy. We have reason to thank God with everything that we have. So let's do that this morning. Let's give the Lord some thanks. If you would, before I even pray, let's just give the Lord a hand clap, a shout, a whatever. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God, for your, your greatness. Thank you, Jesus, for the great joy that you brought us. If you would stand, I want to speak a blessing over you as, as we go from here. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every single person, every single family that is represented in the church this morning. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them in your perfect peace and in your joy, God. Lord, we know that every single one of us experience trials. We experience issues, problems that we go through. And Lord, we know that you see that and that you care about that. And so, Lord, this morning, we don't want to overlook it. We don't want to push past it. But in the face of those difficulties, in the face of trials, Lord, I thank you that our hearts would have fullness of joy in your presence. I thank you, God, that you put more joy in our hearts than the world would have whenever everything is going well, whenever everything seems fine and dandy. I thank you for your joy in our hearts. Lord, let your joy push us into thanksgiving, into gratefulness, into sharing your love with those around us. Thank you that we would go out from here 
singing, dancing, giving you glory, that our lives would be a reflection of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You all be blessed.